Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk with Mandy and Zila, where each week we discuss new health and lifestyle questions based on questions you send us. I am Zila Ozels from the Brantford Public Library Programming Department. And I'm Mandy Samuel, a community health broker with the Brant County Health Unit. Mandy, what does a community health broker do? Well, Zila, a community health broker works with all the citizens in the community to provide support, education, and broker connections to health-related services. Basically, anything they need to support their overall health. Does that mean you're like a nutritionist, nurse, or doctor? No, it doesn't. While there are many times we work alongside other healthcare professionals, our job is to help improve access to and the effectiveness of the healthcare systems. We connect people with education and skill building, employment services, addiction and treatment supports, as well as housing services, just to name a few. Our work changes all the time, which I totally love, but what doesn't change is that we're always right there in the community, meeting them where they're at. So just to be clear for our listeners, the content in this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions or any medical issues that you may be having. Welcome to Let's Talk with Mandy and Zila. This is the sixth episode. So, Mandy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today, Zila. <laughs> it's hard to believe that it's episode six already, though, I gotta say. Yeah, it's kind of moving along a lot faster than I thought it would be. I mean, I kind of remember the struggles of doing episode one. <laughs> now we're at six. Who would have thought it, eh? I hear that you're getting ready for a little Halloween event this weekend. Yeah, actually, last weekend, we went and picked like just over 200 pumpkins to give away to the neighborhood. So that was pretty exciting. Um, the, the event itself is this Saturday. So I'm, you know, pretty excited, but still busy getting goodie bags ready and all of that kind of stuff and just getting ready for Halloween. So yeah, must be challenging to organize that when we have to be socially distanced. There's definitely a lot of things to take into consideration and making sure that you have all of the guidelines in place. And there's a lot to see to, but it's such an important event that we just wanted to make sure that we still did it. So we're just going to do it and do it safely. Yeah, it's nice that you can figure out a way to do it and still provide this kind of fun event for kids and families. Yeah, the neighborhood's pretty excited for sure. And so are we. Cool. Uh, so what are we talking about today, Mandy? Today we'll be talking about sleep hygiene and something we've touched on a few times already, but haven't gone into great detail about food safety. Okay, so sleep hygiene. And by that you mean? So the term sleep hygiene refers to sleep habits. So if someone has good sleep hygiene, it's essentially saying they have good sleep practices and habits that lead to a good night's sleep. Okay, so I mean, I don't think I know anyone who has ever said that they get enough sleep on a regular basis. In fact, according to several studies, as many as one in four adults aged 18 to 34 are not getting enough sleep. And as many as one in three adults aged 35 to 64 are not getting enough sleep. Is it really that many? Like, that's, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> um, why are there so many of us not getting enough sleep? There's a few factors that may be contributing to this. So we may not be moving enough during the day or spending more time sitting and being sedentary. Of adults not getting enough sleep, 36.3% report having chronic stress and 12.3% of adults link their insufficient sleep to poor mental health. 
like chronic stress is kind of like a daily stress that people are feeling. Yeah, that's right. If we're one of these people experiencing difficulty sleeping and what can we do to try and improve our sleep hygiene? So depending on your situation, you'll want to look at a few things that might be affecting your sleep. A few things you could try are avoiding alcohol, caffeine, and nicotine before bed, maintaining a regular bedtime and waking up time, practicing relaxation and mindfulness, reducing noise in your sleeping environment, exercising regularly, and reviewing your medications with your pharmacist or physician on a regular basis. A couple more great tips I wanted to mention about um, ways to get better sleep are keeping your room cool. So you want to make sure that yeah. So make make your sleep uh, environment work for you. So a cool, dark, quiet room may help you fall asleep and stay asleep more easily. Uh, for most people, a room temperature of between 60 Fahrenheit and 67 Fahrenheit is optimal. And it's important to have a comfortable mattress and pillows and linens. And if you're a light sleeper, it might even be a good idea to wear some earplugs. The, the keeping a room cool thing. <laughs> I... I'm always the one who is like bundled up under a whole pile of blankets. And then my husband, he's always sticking his feet out under the <laughs> pile of blankets so that he can stay cool enough. But I don't know. I can't sleep if it's too cold. So I can't sleep without a blanket on or something like that on. But I have to, I can't sleep when I'm too hot either. So a lot of times for me, it's something like a very light blanket so that I still feel like I have something on top of me or a sheet but I definitely, I get hot easily. And so I can't do what you're doing and have a ton of blankets on. That's just not <laughs> something that would work for me. And we have, we turn our thermostat down. Oh. At night too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And you mentioned the whole avoiding alcohol and caffeine. And I know I've noticed that if I have caffeine, like after two or three o'clock in the afternoon, I definitely have either problems falling asleep. Like I just can't and normally I have no problems falling asleep yeah I think that's probably common for a lot of people Um, another thing too that I wanted to mention about sleep routines is um, not having electronics next to your bed so having like your phone next to your bed and just the blue light blinking on it or the notifications that would disrupt your sleep as well so it's Mm -hmm. a good idea to keep the phone and electronics out of the bedroom it's interesting that you mentioned that because I remember reading an article that If you're trying to get some work done, even having your phone in the same room as you is distracting you from your work. So I imagine like there's got to be some sort of similar effects when you're sleeping. Yeah, I'd imagine that's true. I know that like what what you're saying about having your phone even in the same room, like I know that when you see the little light blinking or you hear the noise from it, you definitely it, it does draw you into wanting to check it. So it's probably a good idea to definitely not keep it in the bedroom, let alone when you're trying to do some work. So, Right. In the same resource that you were just referring to, um, it mentions that one in two adults have trouble going to sleep or staying asleep, and one in five adults do not find their sleep refreshing. What are some indicators of these sleep problems? Right. So if you find that you lie in bed more than 30 minutes without falling asleep, or you wake up early and can't fall back asleep, you wake up frequently throughout the night, you might want to try some of the techniques I mentioned before. 
And on the flip side, if you're sleeping too much or for too long, napping throughout the day or are fatigued and tired, you'll also want to assess your nighttime sleep and any contributing factors. So how many hours should we be aiming to sleep? So that depends on your age. For adults, you're looking for seven to nine hours. Toddlers can sleep up to 14 hours and teens and school-aged children up to 10 to 11 hours. Right. So one of the resources we're linking to will include a list of how many hours you should be sleeping based on your age. So for our next topic, uh, we have food safety. I had to say when I was looking into this, I found a lot of good information covering a wide variety of topics. So specifically today, the topics related to food safety that we'll touch on will be cross-contamination, food poisoning, and storage. So starting with the first topic, which is discussed often these days, washing hands and cleaning surfaces often. Yes, this is something that's important, even when you're not in the middle of a pandemic, especially when it comes to food safety. Basically, you want to follow the hand washing guidelines using warm soapy water, washing for at least 20 seconds, and then you want to sanitize any surface where you'll be preparing food. The document you shared with me says that you want to do this often. So how often should you be washing your hands on work surfaces? So you want to wash your hands before, during, and after preparing food, after handling uncooked eggs, raw meat, poultry, or seafood, after coughing, sneezing, or blowing your nose, after touching garbage, after using the toilet, and before and after caring for someone who's sick. That kind of just seems like common sense to me. That, like, that makes sense to me. <laughs> I imagine proper cleaning will also help with the, the cross-contamination. That's right. Basically, with proper cleaning, you're helping prevent the spread of bacteria. Additionally, you'll want to keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and eggs away from ready-to-eat foods, using one cutting board for fresh produce and another for raw meat, poultry, and seafood. Use separate plates and utensils for cooked and raw foods. And in your fridge, keep raw meat separate from cooked foods. You'll want to keep raw meats in a sealed bag on the bottom, of, on the bottom shelf in case they leak. Yeah, that last point that actually happened when I had roommates and there was something that leaked and it was on the top shelf and it just leaked all over everything underneath it. So we had to like thoroughly clean and then carefully inspect and throw out some foods that had the raw juices. Oh, it was gross. I don't ever want to deal with that again. No, definitely keeping um, your raw meats and stuff like that on the bottom is always a good idea just to save yourself from having something like that happen. But also just because if it does drip and you don't see it, right, you want right. to make sure. Yeah. Yeah, because you can't really rely on like something super visible. It might happen and you not notice. That's true. Yeah. So then further, when it comes to food storage, what are some other things we should consider when storing food? So that really depends on what you're storing. There are different guidelines for different products. Unlockfood.ca has a one-page handout that lists where you can store items and for how long. So if you're not planning to eat something soon, you'll want to label it before you store it. Also on unlockfood.ca, I found an interesting article about canned foods and what to look out for. So for example, if a can is bulging, leaking, or dented at the seam or rim, you don't want to eat it. Even if it looks and smells fine, it might have bacteria that can make you sick. Right. You'll also want to follow the first in, first out rule. 
So when you add cans to your pantry, put them at the back and bring older cans to the front. Generally, you don't want to store canned goods for more than a year for best quality. High acid foods like tomatoes should be used within 18 months, while low acid foods have two to five year shelf life. Yeah, I, you've mentioned the first in first out rule several times over the last few episodes. And I think that's an important one to remember at the very least first in first out. It's a great tip. It's an, and it's an easy way to make sure that you're on track. And what if after doing everything you can, you still get food poisoning, either from something you ate at home or from a restaurant? You're able to report food poisoning through the Brant County Health Unit at 519-753-4973 at extension 470 or email environmentalhealth at bchu.org. Be prepared to share where you ate, when you ate, what you ate, and what symptoms you're having. So what are some of the food poisoning symptoms? So most common signs include nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, stomach cramps or pain, dehydration, fever. If they are severe, call your health care provider or go to your walk-in clinic or emergency department. And I know that the Government of Canada website also has a page that lists foods that have been recalled. So we'll link to that. But basically, you can search for a specific product or see the most recent recalls and why the food item is being recalled. That wraps everything up for today. We'll make sure to share all the resources we mentioned in our show notes. Mandy, what's one thing you want people to remember from this episode? I think if you're going to remember one thing from today's episode is how important sleep is and to take small steps towards improving your sleep hygiene. And if there's one thing you're going to try, because we've mentioned this a few times, try the first in first out rule. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk with Mandy and Zila. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you have a question you'd like us to explore, fill out our question submission form on the Let's Talk page on the library website. Stay happy and healthy. This podcast is a joint project between Brantford Public Library and the Brant County Health Unit. Edited by me, Zila Ozos. Music provided by Purple Planet through purple-planet.com. For more information about the podcast, visit the Brantford Public Library website at brantfordlibrary.ca.